We are delighted to be joined by the one and only Michael Staten. Hello and welcome to Exposit the Word, Michael. Hello to you. It's great to hear from you today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Michael. We're, we're recording this interview towards the end of April 2020. How's the lockdown been for you guys? Well, like everybody, it's been certainly interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm in Oklahoma uh, here in the U.S., and so for us, what that has pretty much meant for the, the last five weeks uh, is pretty much things are shut down. Uh, essential businesses are open. Uh, as a as a church, we're we're allowed to still come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays to live stream our services. We're allowed to have a couple of people in the office each day yeah. so that the the essential work of the church can continue. So I've still been coming to the office most every day. Um, it, it's been interesting because in some ways I'm as far as time I may be more busy than I've ever been. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. yeah, the work's a little bit different. You know, so I'm still preparing to, to teach like always. Yeah. Um, but communication is so challenging because we're, we're used to being able to have everyone in our church multiple times during the week. And obviously we can't do that now. And so we're having to work a lot more to keep up with our people and minister to our people as best we can. Yeah. But we're, we're persevering and we're grateful for the technology we have that makes it possible. And uh, we've got wonderful staff, wonderful church members and leaders here and uh, so it's been a hard, a hard five weeks, but at the same time, we've seen the Lord be very good and gracious to us. Mm. What have you missed most about normal, the normal way of life, Michael? You know, a great question. Uh, two things come just immediately to my mind. Yeah. Um, first, as as the pastor of the church, I was just telling my wife, I miss so much interacting with our people mm. after our time of worship. Mm. So I'm still here preaching. I still preach live on Sundays. Uh, our music team, they do music and then I preach live. Um, and so the studying is, is the same. The preaching is very different, but you're still trying to get the truth out. What is, what I miss the most as a pastor is when I get through preaching on Sundays, I go out in the lobby and I just stand there to, to visit with our people. And I get a chance to hear, how they're doing, what they're learning, what they what they're struggling with, um, how the Lord's at work in their life. Uh, I get a chance to interact with them based on the sermon. What did they, you know, what, what's their takeaways? Yeah. Um, is there anything that was unclear? Any way I can pray for them? And now the way it is, I just preach, and I go get my truck and drive home. And it's kind of sad on the on the way home because mm -hmm. even though hopefully the truth was presented, I didn't get to interact with our people as they are interacting with the truth. And yeah. so as a preacher, that's been the hardest thing for me. As a church member, uh, the thing I miss the most is our corporate singing. Mm. Uh, yeah. I still, I still get to be in the sanctuary on Sunday morning with our, we have a, a trimmed down music team that's, that's leading during this time of, of quarantine. So I still get to hear the songs and I myself get to sing along. Uh, but there is nothing like, hundreds of people in the room all singing songs of praise to the Lord. And so as a church member, uh, I just miss in a huge way uh, the sound of the congregation singing praise together. Yeah. Just in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with your ministry or with yourself, Michael, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You bet. Thank you. Um, so I, I pastor at the First Baptist Church of Mustang, Oklahoma, uh, Mustang is a suburb of Oklahoma City, so we're right in the central part of the state. Uh, I've lived here in this in this state all of my life. Hmm. Uh, grew up in, in Oklahoma and, and went to college in Oklahoma. 
I began uh, full-time ministry in 1994 and served as a youth pastor for about four years. And then at that same church, I transitioned to an associate pastor role, ended up serving at that church for about seven years total. In the year 2000, uh, my wife and I uh, moved to this church, First Baptist Church of Mustang. I was the associate pastor in 2000 when I moved here, served in that role for exactly three years, and then in 2003, transitioned to senior pastor of this church. So altogether, I'm in my 20th year now uh, here at uh, First Baptist Church in Mustang. Um, went to Southwestern Seminary um, after graduating college and then attended uh, the Master's Seminary where I did my Doctor of Ministry and Expository Preaching. I uh, started that in 2015 and graduated in May of 2018 and uh, loved it so much. I've yeah. uh, been married to my wife, Marcy, for 24 years, yeah. and we've got two sons. Uh, one is a senior at Oklahoma University, Cale, and the other, my youngest, Benjamin, uh, is uh, a sophomore at Oklahoma State University. Take us back to the beginning. How did you first become a Christian? You know, I, I was raised in a Christian home. My father was a public school teacher. He taught uh, vocal music at, at a school, uh, but he was also a bivocational music minister. And so from the time I was born, uh, I was in church every Sunday. My mother was a secretary uh, at the church as well. So we were in church every single Sunday, and I, I always loved church. I enjoyed every part of it. Um, but as a young child, there was a particular Saturday evening uh, when I really felt under conviction for my sin. And even though I was a very young child, um, I remember as clear as yesterday, just the, the accountability I felt for my sin. I knew that I had done wrong. I knew that uh, I had disobeyed. And I understood even at a young age that, that there was a wage, there was a punishment uh, for my sin. And uh, I remember visiting with my parents on a Saturday evening in their home in the living room. And I just told them that, that I believed the gospel. I believed Christ was uh, the Son of God who died and was raised back to life. And I also knew that I was a sinner. And I knew that I was personally responsible for my sin. And I just, I had a, I had a broken heart over uh, my own sinfulness. And so as, as a young child, uh, on a Saturday evening with my parents, I prayed uh, and asked the Lord to forgive me and uh, believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit brought salvation to me uh, by His grace and, and gave me the gift of faith to, to trust in the hope of the gospel. Yeah. How old was you when you first felt the call to ministry? So, you know, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. Um, as a young child, so again, I, I grew up in the church. My dad's on church staff. I loved going to church. Um, I, I read my Bible as a child. Uh, I took notes during the sermons, even as a young child. Uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed everything about it. And yeah. so when I was a little kid, uh, I would write sermons. Um, I would write them for myself. I would write them and preach to my family. I would preach them at my grandparents' house. Yeah. Uh, in fact, as a fifth grader, uh, one Sunday, we showed up, it was winter, and uh, showed up to church, and because of bad weather, our Sunday school teacher couldn't get there, and so we didn't have a teacher in our class. Yeah. And so I just 
started teaching the class. I had the notes with me from a sermon I had written, if you can call it that. <laughs> and I just stood up behind the music stand in Sunday school class, and uh, <laughs> I let yeah. those fifth graders have it. Uh, wow. And uh, so I loved to, to study, and I loved to, to preach as a child. Um, then I get to middle school, and out of nowhere, uh, I got struck with a fear of public speaking. It's a very interesting thing. I, I was in the seventh grade, yeah. and I was running for um, student council vice president. And so we had to give a speech in front of the school. I was excited to do it. I liked speaking in front of people. Uh, I had no fear or trepidation about it whatsoever. In the middle of the speech, out of nowhere, this fear struck me. And for whatever reason that I cannot explain, I was just petrified in that instant to be speaking. And I literally just walked off the stage there in the gym and didn't even finish the speech. And um, I didn't give a lot of thought about it at the time, but it didn't go away. And so um, for the rest of my time growing up, middle school and high school, I had just a, a terrible fear of public speaking. And so uh, I didn't want to do it. I couldn't do it. Um, it, it. It began to be a real issue for me. I mean, I was, I was so afraid of it that just sitting in class, if everyone was reading out loud from a textbook, Uh, I would sit there and get panicked knowing, you know, that I was three people away from speaking, whatever it may be. So my problem was, so I I wouldn't say that I saw myself as a pastor in those years because one, I didn't feel a call to preach in that sense. The other was I knew I couldn't do it. So then I go to college and I had a freshman speech class and our first speech, the professor said had to be 30 seconds long. And it could be over any topic. All we had to do was stand in front of the class, basically, and not pass out for 30 <laughs> seconds. And that was, a, that was a requirement. Yeah. And I was so panicked by that that the night before the speech, I got in my car, and I drove around the interstate by the university and uh, had the radio up full blast, singing as loud as I could, screaming, trying to lose my voice. My thought being, if I lost my voice... I won't be required to give the speech. And so I just would sing and scream and yell. I woke up the next morning with a horrific sore throat, but I still had a voice. So (laughs) I had to get the speech away. I survived it, but it was was just awful. It was just so excruciating. And what made it worse is I realized how just unnecessary the fear was. I, I would try to talk myself out of being afraid. I would tell myself that, you know, this is foolish. There's no sense for this. There's no reason to be afraid. And whatever it was, I just, I could not change. I, I could not stop it. Um, I, I was serving the Lord through a, a campus Christian ministry. And uh, I began to teach a, a dorm Bible study. I tried to, I tried to just force myself to do these things. And I would give a testimony on occasion at different different places just because I wanted to, to get through the fear. Yeah. Um, fast forward a little bit. My junior year in college, the fear is still there and, and just almost a paralysis of, of public speaking, really. And the Lord began to uh, work in my heart to surrender to preach. Um, in my daily quiet time, it was something I just continually felt 
uh, in my own heart and spirit that the Lord is calling me to preach. It, it began to, to be a situation where friends of mine who knew me well would say, uh, boy, we really think the Lord could be calling you to, to, to be a pastor. Uh, people I knew at my church, uh, leaders at my church began to talk to me about the same thing. And so it, it, in my own heart, in my Bible reading, um, in the people who knew me well, it became something that was continually in front of me. Mm. I loved the Lord, and I did not want to run away from the Lord, but I could not surrender to preach because I physically was too afraid of public speaking. My thought was, how do you surrender to preach if you're afraid to, to speak in front of people? Yeah. And so uh, the, the lady who I'm married to now for 24 years, at the time we were just dating in college, and uh, we were talking one night, um, about this very thing, I just told her. I said, "Marcy, I said I know the Lord's calling me to preach. I know that He is, but I just don't understand how I can say yes to that when I have this bad of a fear of public speaking." And Marcy said something to me. It was just in the moment. It was just kind of what was on her heart, but it, it became a truly life-changing conversation. Marcy said, "Michael, don't try to outplan God." Yeah. And so she just said, "If if that's what He's called you to do." Yeah. Just surrender to it and let him work it out. So the next Sunday was February the 13th, and um, I went forward at the end of the church service um, during our our, uh, invitation time. And I told the pastor, uh, who knew me, um, that I was surrendering to preach. And he said, well, you must be so excited today. And I said, actually, I'm terrified today. (laughs) And so we talked, we prayed together. But I just decided that I I knew with certainty the Lord was calling me to do that. I did not understand how you could preach with the fear of public speaking. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand how you'd ever get a job if you were afraid to speak and you're supposed to be a preacher. Yeah. But I just wanted to do what I felt my wife had, or girlfriend at the time, had wisely said to me, and that's do not outplan God. So yeah. I just surrendered to what he was calling me to do and tried to trust him with the details of it. And... Um, and so in, in God's providence, uh, in time, he removed that fear from me, um, and, and that's how I actually came to surrender to preach. And even though it was a very painful time, it was actually a very embarrassing time, because you get there to speak, and your face is red, you start sweating, and on and on and on. Um, but the truth is, uh, the Lord's used it, I think, I pray, to, to humble me. Uh, because now, if somebody says something to me in kindness, like, Pastor, we like to hear you preach, or you do a good job speaking, something like that, if someone's kind in that way, mm-hmm. I'll just smile and say, thank you very much. But in my heart, it's a reminder um, that God called me to preach not because of of my talent, uh, maybe in spite of it. Yeah. Um, he called me to preach to remind me that, that only He can can make it work. That, that's a long answer to your question, but there's just a lot to that. No, it's such a good answer. It, it's so hard to imagine as well, because I've been blessed to, to to listen to you preach many times, and you're such an amazing expository preacher. And this is going to be such a an, an incredible encouragement to so many people that might feel that call, but have the same fear that you've had. What what practical things did you do in terms of what, what sort of advice would you give somebody practically to, and what really helped you sort of get over that fear, Michael? Well, I, I think that that um, what, what I did practically, so when, when I started my first full-time position, I was 20 years old, yeah. 
And, and I'll be honest with you, I had this idea in my mind, because I had surrendered to preach in February. Yeah. Um, the Lord just providentially opened up a ministry position for me that May, so just about three months later. And um, uh, I, I, I was honest with them. And I, I told them my situation. I told them my struggles. And um, so they hired me. And um, I had this idea that because I was faithful and because I surrendered to preach, mm. that God was going to supernaturally take that away from me instantly. And and it didn't happen. Yeah. And so um, I'm put in this church position where now I'm reading scripture and I'm giving announcements and I'm, I'm preaching to our youth every week. And so practically what I did, first thing I did was I just said, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to study hard. And I'm going to be prepared, and and I'm going to do everything I can to get through this. Mm. Um, and then when it came time to get up and preach or, or to speak, my face would get red, and it was very obvious I was uncomfortable. And you could see that I was anxious and nervous, which made me even more anxious and nervous. But um, I just, because I was well prepared, I knew I had studied, I knew I had something for the people to listen to. And even though I didn't know how well I could communicate it, what I did believe and trust in is that I had studied the Word, and I did have what I believed to be a, a studied view from God's Word to give our people. So I just rested in that, that yeah. no matter how bad or awkward the presentation may be, uh, that no matter how awkward I may look in giving it, I knew if people would at least listen to what I said— that, that they would have something helpful yeah. because it was it was biblical. Yeah, and so I just poured myself into the preparation, and I poured myself into the study um, because I knew in those early days I wasn't going to win any awards for presentation. Yeah. Um, but if people knew the content was biblical, I thought they would stay with me, yeah. and so practically. That, that's the first thing I did is I wanted to make sure I had studied well to give people a, a reason to listen to me. As far as content delivery, um, what I would do is I started um, speaking as much as I could. And so I was doing Sunday morning stuff for our church, Wednesday night stuff with our youth. I started doing home Bible studies with our youth. And I just created a, a teaching schedule that forced me uh, to teach in front of all different age groups, all different sizes of groups. And I was just going to force myself to do it because otherwise the fear was such, I would talk myself out of doing it. Yeah. So I just started scheduling, you know, as a youth, we're going to do a Wednesday night service every Wednesday night where I'm preaching. We're going to do a Tuesday in-home Bible study every Tuesday night where I'm teaching. We're going to do a Sunday afternoon Bible study where I'm teaching every Sunday afternoon. And so I just created this teaching schedule. It forced me to do it and forced me to be in the Word to prepare. And in time, um, eventually, that that fear and, and trepidation went away, and and I got to where I really enjoyed standing in front of a group to teach the Word. Mm. Uh, it, wasn't, it was not an instantaneous thing. It was a process. But I would say the thing that helped me the most were two things. Number one, um, preparation and trusting in what I had to share. And then number two, um, forcing myself to teach as often as I could mm. to try to get through. Yeah. Do you ever get nervous now? 
You know, not not in a not in the public speaking sense. I mean, my my nervousness now is I, I feel like every preacher, I suppose, uh, an incredible weight. I'm standing in front of people saying, "Here's what the Word of God says, and here's what it means." Yeah. So I feel I feel a tremendous amount of pressure to to get it right. Um, but as far as the public speaking part of it, I, I'm no longer nervous about that. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. You mentioned how important it is to, to have good preparation. Um, I'm really interested. What does sermon prep look like for you now? And also, what notes do you take into the pulpit? Yeah. So for me, if if before the quarantine, when, when life was normal, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sunday morning for me would be preaching two services, 9 and 1030. I was teaching the book of James. Sunday, we do a two-year Bible training program for our men where we take them through eight courses, um, Old Testament 1 and 2, New Testament 1 and 2, uh, hermeneutics, personal evangelism. Uh, So we've got eight courses. So I teach an hour on Sunday afternoon um, for those men, and and, and it's, it's a lecture. And then I'm preaching an evening service as well after that. And then Tuesdays, uh, I'm teaching a theology course again at 6.30 a.m. So wow. yeah. uh, my schedule teaching is, is extremely full. And so sermon prep for me is is really um, all throughout the day, every single day. But the way I organize my week uh, are the mornings are given for study uh, and my afternoons are for meetings or administration. And mm-hmm. so a normal week for me um, – would look like Monday morning is a staff meeting and staff Bible study time. Uh, but the other mornings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning are all given to study. Uh, I don't typically meet. I don't typically do any kind of administration ideas or things. I'm just studying Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, then in the afternoons, if, if there's other time I have, I do that. And then every night at home, um, I'm doing a little bit in the evenings, uh, for study. And so, I'm just so if if I have a, a sermon on Sunday morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start uh, on Monday and I'm going to obviously read the passage. I'm going to try to understand it. I preach through books of the Bible, and so the the context is you know is not changing week to week. Yeah. So I'm just trying to to learn that passage. I'm asking as many questions of the passage as I possibly can. Uh, and then after I do do the my own reading and, and, and outlining and that kind of initial work, uh, I'm I'm a guy that likes commentaries, and so I'm probably going to work through about 15 commentaries a week yeah, well, uh, that I'm going to read. Yeah. Um. And, and and some of those are more technical, and some are uh, more homiletical. Some are more devotional. I, I use a wide range of commentaries as I prepare. Yeah. Um. And I'm going to just I'm just going to read and write as best I can. And the, the outline, the intro, the conclusion for me is going to come late in the week. I'm just trying to learn the text as best I can. By late in the week, um, as I've been thinking about it all day, every day, just about, mm. uh, I just start to think in terms of how could I creatively present this material in a way that would make sense to our people. And uh, that's how I create the outline. And then I start writing the actual sermon and having to cut out you know, some things. Yeah. Um, for the sake of time and hopefully um, filling the sermon with the most impactful things for our people. Uh, and then for me, I do the introduction, conclusion, the very end. And um, 
And so for me, that's 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 what a week looks like for sermon prep. As far as what I take in the pulpit with me, yeah. what I do is is kind of a mixture of an outline and a manuscript. Um, what I take is what I would call a form of a manuscript in outline form. So it, it's not a manuscript in the sense of paragraphs and pages, um, but but it's in the form of an outline. But the outline has quite a bit of detail in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do that for two reasons. One is because on Sunday mornings I'm preaching twice. Yeah. And so I find it's helpful to have notes with me, particularly that second service, because I've already heard myself say it. Yeah. And sometimes it can be confusing with, have I already said it this service, or am I just thinking about it? Yeah. And so the outline kind of helps keep me focused. The other reason I do a, a detailed outline like that uh, is just for future reference. Um, so I, I, I like my notes to be pretty, although they're an outline, they're very detailed, so I can go back and look at them later if I need to, to revisit them. Uh, and I've got everything there, hopefully. Yeah, so good. Because you're so busy and you've got, obviously got a bit such a uh, heavy schedule in terms of studying for the preaching, how do you sort of protect your own um, devotional time? And, and how do you make sure that you're in a word for you rather than just for what you're studying to teach? From a very practical standpoint, there are two things. One is uh, read through the Bible in a year. And so yeah. I, I enjoy that. Uh, and so last year, I invited our whole church to join me in that, and, and there were hundreds in our congregation. Uh, we used the same reading plan, um, and, and we, we did a, a five-day-a-week reading plan. Yeah. And so uh, I, I just enjoy reading the Bible uh, through a daily reading. Uh, and then the other thing that I enjoy doing is listen to preaching. I, I think one of, the, one of the dangers when you're the pastor of the church is that the main preaching voice you hear is your own. Yeah. And um, so I, I enjoy listening to preaching. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of strange this way. I, I, I like to go to the gym and work out. Um, it's kind of a, a for just mental health as much as anything. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times when I'm lifting weights in the gym. Uh, I, I've got sermons on. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, people might be surprised. They see me in the gym. If they, you know, if I took my headphones off and they wanted to hear what I was listening to, <laughs> uh, maybe Martin Lloyd-Jones, yeah. you know, preaching through Ephesians or something. Yeah. Um, but so for, for my own personal life, I like to read through the Bible in a year, yeah. and I like to uh, I like to listen to faithful guys preach the Word. It, honestly, it's one of the things I love about Exposit the Word yeah. is is it's very easy and convenient. I can go pick a book of the Bible uh, and start listening to those to those sermons on there from guys that are trustworthy. Uh, listening to guys preach is definitely one of the things the Lord uses for my own soul, no doubt about it. Yeah, so good. Who are some of your favorites? Oh, to listen to? Yeah. Um, I, well, I love to I love to listen to to Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that uh, that that his sermons are available. Uh, I love to listen to uh, John MacArthur preach. Listen yeah. to him regularly. Yeah. Um, I enjoy listening to Alistair Begg preach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Old Testament narrative. I love to listen to Dale Ralph Davis. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's someone I love to read and and, and love to listen to as well. Um, you know Steve Lawson, who was the the director of the the doctor ministry program I did, yeah. uh, is someone that's that's become a, a, a good personal friend of mine. Uh, but but I, I knew him just from a distance through his preaching first and foremost. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I love to listen to John Piper. Um, when when I was young in ministry, he was someone the Lord definitely used in a in a in a strong way for me. Yeah. Uh, so all of those would be guys that that I enjoy listening to. Awesome. I know you have a real passion for expository preaching. What is expository preaching and when did you first come into contact with it? 
you know, I, I think I, I think I came in a, in a contact with it before I would have known what to call it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in church all my life, and and I'm grateful for every pastor I sat under. Uh, good, godly men who loved Jesus, who loved the Word, who loved the church. Uh, faithful men. I'm so thankful for them. But it wasn't until I got to college that I was introduced to just teaching through books of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed odd and strange just because I never really seen that happen before. Yeah. And so um, I really appreciated that. I wouldn't have known at the time uh, what to call it. I just knew that it was something a little different than I had heard before where we were just week after week letting the text itself drive the sermon. And, um, and so I really enjoyed that. And so what happened for me, I get hired at the church when I'm 20 and, um, I'm just starting seminary. Uh, I don't have a, you know, any background in this. And so the only thing I knew to do, as mentioned earlier, I just knew I had to give them the Bible because I wasn't a good communicator. I wasn't a skilled preacher. And so I just knew I've got to at least make sure the content is biblical. So the only way I knew to do that was to make sure I was just preaching the word. And so as a 20 year old youth minister, I started just preaching through books of the Bible. And I did it because I thought it was the most sure way uh, to make sure what I was saying was in context uh, and that it was accurate. I don't even know at 20 years old that I could have told you I was doing expository preaching. I would have said at the time, I just want to make sure I'm tied to the text so the Bible is the only thing I'm preaching. That's how I would have told you when I was 20 years old. So then uh, I began to listen to uh, John MacArthur's sermons and and hear him, you know, in, in a very skillful way. What, seeing what that looks like, listening to what that looks like. And and so it's then that I really find out that what I'm trying to do is expository preaching. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate because there were really three preachers that the Lord brought into my life from a distance. They were, At the time, they were not men that I knew. They were just men from a distance. Um, there are three. So John MacArthur was one. John Piper was another. And Tommy Nelson at Denton Bible Church was the third. And for whatever reason, my heart just really resonated with those three men when they would preach. And what I discovered that they all had in common was they all, with with different, you know, different levels of how they would do things and different styles, but they all would just preach through the Bible. And I just realized as a young believer, um, how much, or young minister, how much I enjoy knowing that when those three guys preach, I was just going to get the Bible from them. Yeah. And then it was interesting that all three of those men, with very different personalities, um, began to, to talk in some ways, you know, the, the same language. And so uh, I think that is when I began to try to understand what expository preaching was, why we did it, why I wanted to do it. Um, so it wasn't like I was raised in that way and was looking for it. It just happened that as these different preachers, I would get their sermon cassettes and listen to them to feed my own soul. Yeah. And I just began to, to really gravitate toward them because they were letting the Word of God do the teaching. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted to try to emulate. And so for me today, when I think about expository preaching, 
um, I mean, the way I the way I would look at it, the way I would define it is uh, preaching in such a way uh, that the the text of Scripture is the is the theme and the thrust of the sermon. Yeah. That that the preacher is laboring to understand what this text meant to the original audience with authorial intent and to rightly interpret what it meant. And then, based on that, to rightly apply it to our people today. Yeah, yeah, so good. Have there been any parts of your theology that you've changed your mind on over the years? Honestly, I, I don't know that there's anything that I've changed my mind on. Maybe some things I didn't fully know or understand that got uh, solidified later. Mm. Um, I, I guess the biggest thing that for me, and probably this is true for most people, um, I think just understanding the sovereignty of God yeah. is, I wouldn't say that I changed my mind as much as I just didn't really know what to think of that when I was young. Uh, it just wasn't really solidified for me. Um, I've always been one that, I mean, I've always believed in the inerrancy of Scripture and uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. I've always believed in the, the deity of Christ. That was never something that was in question for me. Um I think my understanding of, of God's providence, of God's sovereignty, I think the understanding of what's happening um, in salvation is probably something I would not have, I wouldn't have taught it the same way at 20 as I would today. Yeah, sure. But the truth is, I, I don't know, I wouldn't have known enough about it at 20 to, to say much about it at all, other than just calling on men to repent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but no, I, I don't know if there's anything that I've, that I've changed my mind on. Um, fortunately for me, growing up in a, in a family that loved the word and a church that, that loved the word, um, and, and the spirit gave me a desire to want to read the word. So, uh, all through my life growing up, I mean, I've always been one that loved to read the Bible and, and wanted to learn from scripture. And so, um, I did my best to, to make sure that my, my, views were, were biblical that I could explain them from scripture. So I don't know that I would say I would change my mind on that, but yeah. as much as maybe a few things have been solidified, if that's if that makes sense. Yeah. You've been really kind and you've blessed Exposit the Word with your teaching series on Haggai. What, what's Haggai about and what's your favorite memories from teaching that series, Michael? Oh, man. Yes, yes. So, you know, man, so many things that, that I love about, about that book. Mm. Um if, if I were given, you know, just a very quick answer of what it's about, um, you know, so you've got the people that are that they've returned home and they were called to rebuild the temple and they stop rebuilding the temple. Two things are happening. Um, they're getting uh, external pressure to stop building and they've got this internal uh, conflict where they're wanting to uh, to take care of themselves. And those two things come together and the result of it is they stop building the temple. And so God raises up this little-known prophet to call them to do God's work, to put his work first. Yeah. And, of course, they, they start to do the work, and you've got the older people who are saying that this is never going to be as good. This is never going to be as grand. This is never going to be um, the, the model that the world you know longs to come and see like the old temple did. And so there's discouragement. Yeah. And the young people are— are having to swim in the waters of this discouragement. Um, and, and Haggai says, look, you need to do what God's called you to do and, and let the Lord take care uh, of bringing glory to himself. You, you just be faithful. And so to me, 
uh, I just I loved that book, and and when I decided to preach that to our congregation, uh, I think as much as anything, what I wanted our people to hear is that we need to be faithful to what God calls us to do mm. and to prioritize His kingdom above everything else. Mm. And we need to make sure there's no external pressure that we are giving into that's keeping us from following the Lord, and that there's no internal idolatry uh, that's distracting us from following the Lord. Mm. And so uh, we began to walk through that book, and and I think originally I had it sketched out in four sermons, and uh, it became five or six. And I think I ended up being, I think it may have been somewhere around eight yeah. uh, that I ended up yeah. preaching that in. Um, but one of the things that, you know, that we dealt with a little bit was worship and just the, the idea that we worship God on his terms, we approach him on his terms and our, our worship must be pleasing to him for it to have any value whatsoever. Um, and, and it doesn't matter in one sense of, of what the world thinks about what we're doing. Um, if God is pleased with us, then God's glorified in us. Mm-hmm. And if God is not pleased with, with what we're doing and how we're doing it, then it doesn't matter how much the world would applaud it. Uh, it will be of no spiritual lasting value. And so the book of Haggai was a great call to obedience, uh, to, to repent from distractions. It was a great call to make sure that our worship was God-centered and that we were worshiping in a way that he calls us to do. Um, it was a great reminder um, that that God is at work and that, that God is doing far more than we can see. Yeah. That as we obey the Lord, he is doing more with us and through us than we will ever know. Yeah. And, and so that book was a, a tremendous, I think, rallying time for our church to say, let, let's let's have the courage to do what Haggai did. Let's call each other to biblical worship, to God-centered living uh, that is not being distracted by the, the pressure of the world. So good. Somebody may be listening right now that doesn't yet follow Jesus. What would you say to that person, Michael? I, I would say that the gospel is clear, and what the gospel teaches us in the, in the scripture is that we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of God's glory, that every one of us has failed to live exactly how we should. And because of that, we've got a problem. And that problem is there is a God, the Bible teaches, who is holy and perfect and just, and our sin is going to have to be punished. And that sin can be punished by we ourselves receiving that punishment, which the Bible says is is separation from God for eternity. But the good is the gospel is that that God has made a way for us, that that God the Father sent his only son Jesus to live a perfect life, and doing so becomes our perfect substitute, and that he uh, dies on the cross, and in so doing, uh, for those who believe our sins placed upon Jesus and God's wrath is poured out upon him so that that which was perfectly true of Christ, his perfection, his righteousness could be given to us uh, in salvation through through faith. And so if someone's listening doesn't know Christ, my question would be, what are you going to do about your sin? And what are you hoping in the day that you stand before the Lord? Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, 
you will either stand before God based on your record, which will never be sufficient to save, or you can stand on the basis of the record of Christ, who alone is sufficient to save. Mm. And so my hope and my prayer to someone would be that they would consider the absolute foolishness of trying to stand before a perfect and holy God based on what you have done, but instead that you would receive by faith what Christ has done, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus alone to be your Lord and Savior. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. Well, I'm I'm grateful for, for the opportunity and and let me just say how much I appreciate Exposit the Word. And, and I, I just can't imagine anything more meaningful or fruitful uh, than a ministry whose sole design is to make godly biblical teaching from cover to cover available. Yeah. And so I'm so grateful for what you've done. I'm, I'm honored to, to get to be a small part of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I love... Uh, the, the work the Lord's called you to do to just spread a joy for the Bible uh, and for for the, the Lord through this ministry. I support it 100 percent and I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Uh, thank you so much. We, we really we really are grateful for your support and for your friendship as well, Michael. So thank you so much. If if any of the listeners want to get in touch with you, Michael, and, and please point people towards your YouTube channel and your website as well, because you've got so many fantastic resources available. How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you. So um, the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Mustang, our website is fbcmustang.org. Um, my, my preaching website is called everywordpreached.com. Uh, and on that website, everywordpreach.com, there's sermon videos and daily devotions I do for our church. There's some book reviews that are on there. Uh, I've got some interviews with uh, some fellow pastors that are on there. So that might be a, a helpful resource for yeah. pastors to check out. Yeah. And uh, my email is michael at fbcmustang.org. That, that's open and anyone's welcome to to send me a note uh, or any way that I can serve or help anyone anytime, Michael at fbcmustang.org. I'd be happy to interact with anyone through that. That's awesome. I'll make sure all of those links are in the description below as well so people can, can easily get in touch with you. Michael, thanks again for your time, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a joy. It really has. I appreciate you.